session with Dr. Farid Kolaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get to the summary of the book of the week, I got a few things to do before that. First of all, I wanted to announce again that there's just a few days left in the toy drive that we are doing for Mattel's Children's Hospital. The last day would be this Friday, December 15th. So if you live in the L.A. area and you'd like to drop off a toy, again, a new unwrapped toy for a kid of any age, please bring it here to the Radio Hamra offices. You can call in to get that address, but I'll also say it now. 1762 Westwood Boulevard, Suite 330, Los Angeles, California, 90024. Um, And again, we really hope you'll bring your gifts for these kids who are at the hospital and their families uh, to put a smile on their face during the holiday season. So and a big thanks again to Susie Khatami, who has created that relationship with us and tells Children's Hospital and organizes the toy drive for us so that we can get those toys to those kids. So please donate if you haven't already. Again, a new and unwrapped toy. Um, Before I do the book of the week for this week, I wanted to announce the book for uh, this coming week, The Eye in Life by Sarah Del Passant. And I actually will be joined by the author, Sarah Del Passant, on Monday night's show to discuss the book, The Eye in Life, a visionary understanding of who you are, where you are going, and how to get there. But because I had a guest on Monday night's show, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who, another big thanks to her, came on the show, talked about parenting your unique child along with parenting an introverted child. And I thought it was an interesting discussion. So big thanks to her. But because of that, I haven't done the book summary yet for this week. So I'll do that today. And the book for this week was a really important one, one that I was looking forward to reading and that is Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, We Were Eight Years in Power. You might recall that a few months ago, a book of the week was his book, Between the World and Me. Um, but this book, We Were Eight Years in Power, he shares eight articles or essays that he wrote throughout the Barack Obama presidency, one for each year, along with, before each article, kind of some notes from that year. And um, I'm very happy I read this book. First and foremost, he is an incredible writer, and it's very poetic to read what he's writing and very powerful. But um, also, it really informed me or reminded me more of American history and a perspective that sometimes gets lost or we try to forget about. Uh, And also, some more details about President Obama's um, administration and his time in office, and also what led to potentially Donald Trump's election last year. 
So it was an incredibly powerful book. Uh, to begin with, as I mentioned, we oftentimes like to have this vision of America as this place of freedom and this wonderful, beautiful place. And in a lot of ways, it is those things. I'm not saying it's not. I'm proud to be an American, and I think I'm very grateful to be an American. Had I uh, been born somewhere else, I might I would likely not have the freedoms I have here. But at the same time, we can't divorce that from the very horrible history that the United States is founded on and the people that were suffering because of that. Um, we like to think of just the good side of America or how we make it feel like the good side, that it's about freedom and goodness and all those good things, but we almost forget that it was founded on the backs of slaves and even there was the killing and taking of land from the Native Americans, those who are already here. And even I know as I start this conversation, I can almost imagine people rolling their eyes and thinking, here we go again, uh, another person talking about the negative side of history or trying to be a downer in some way. But we have to face the reality. Uh, as someone who gets to do this show, one of the things I try to do, really I attempt to do, is to have people face their own personal realities and our realities as human beings. But even here as Americans, we have to face the true reality of our country and our history. Uh, you know, we like to think of our founding fathers and they really were visionaries and they were able to make a huge impact in what they did. But even when they said all men were created equal, um, there's a pretty big asterisk on that all men, where that it, it really meant all white men, not the slaves, the African-Americans, who were considered somehow less than and really were, were treated as property. Um, and, and so when you read a book like this, you get reminded of that, reminded of that painful history that we oftentimes want to ignore. But I, I really challenge everyone to face that, to realize what's going on. Because it's not just about facing the history because I want people to read a sad story of our past or the sad reality of our past, but it also is to recognize that that's still affecting our present day. When we look at what's happening in America today, we can't uh, divorce that from the past, divorce that from the history of what has happened. It is because of the history of many of the things that we see today. Uh, so throughout this book, he goes through each year of the, the presidency and there's some really powerful articles, including a case for reparations, um, which I think is really an interesting, uh, he, he does it in a very powerful way because he's researched it so much. And I think that's something very commendable when you read this book, you can tell how much he has really not just approached things in an emotional way to say, this is bad, or I don't like this, or I don't want it to be this way, but has researched things very thoroughly. And that's why I, I learned so much reading the book about American history and things that I was not uh, as familiar with. Um, but we see that African Americans are still disadvantaged in this country. And I know people don't like to think about that. And we want to think that, no, uh, we live in this free country and there's no more racism. And a big case people use to say there's no more racism against the African American community is to actually talk about the presidency of Barack Obama. How could there be racism if we have a or had a black president and had an African-American president. How could we possibly have that? He's 
that's the highest office in the land. Um, but that's uh, really missing the point. And actually, as he puts it, the only way at this time we could have a black president was it for it to be someone like Barack Obama. And he talks about uh, various characteristics of him throughout the book. But as they put it, he had to be twice as good. He had to be really exceptional. He really was in so many ways, even from his background, where he was born to a, a black mother and a white woman and raised actually oftentimes by his white grandparents as well, um, but was incredibly intelligent and had a charisma and was just really an incredible man. And that was the way he became president or he could be president. While on the other hand, as he puts it in the last chapter of the epilogue, um, the first white president talking about Donald Trump, really Donald Trump primarily had to be rich and white was really what allowed him to become president. That was really all that was necessary. And as he points out, many of the things that Donald Trump has already done, um, we can't imagine that Barack Obama would be able to get away with. And if we look throughout even the elections and the notions that people held about Barack Obama, we see a lot of racism, even uh, the idea of birtherism, which was really brought forward strongly by Donald Trump, this idea that, that Barack Obama was not born in the United States, questioning um, his citizenship and really his right to that office, which was definitely uh, inspired by racism. I think it's undeniable. No other president had to face that, but we had that with the first black president. Somehow we, they did not want to accept that he was president and somehow take that away from him. And even many, many people might forget this because birtherism got so much attention. What got less attention was later on Donald Trump demanded that Barack Obama show his transcripts from, uh, from college. I don't know if it was from law school or from his undergraduate, saying that he would not be able to uh, get good grades at those schools or doubting his intellect, which, again, very likely, I think most people would see that as somehow related to race. I don't think that's uh, making a big jump. Um, or suggesting that he could not have written his own book. It had to have been by a ghostwriter. So uh, this all points to the notion that although we like to think we live in a post-racial America, that racism no longer exists, we have to face the true reality that racism is very real and unfortunately still very much here. And rather than denying it and avoiding the problem, it's up to us to face our history and face that problem head on and recognize that we can't live in denial because we wish things to be a particular way. And as I've said many times on the show, all of us are racist. We all have racial biases, whether we want to believe it or not. We like to think that we see everyone the same, but we know this is not true. We have all sorts of prejudices. You might have prejudice against um, age versus against some religions, race, sexual orientation, men, women, many things. You probably have something within you that judges certain groups differently, better or worse than other groups. And we have to accept that. It's about facing that reality. And when you read this book, Ta-Nehisi Coates's book, We Were Eight Years in Power, um, you get incredible perspective into American history and also American present, what's going on now, uh, including the ways that African Americans have been systematically oppressed throughout history. There was, of course, slavery, but things didn't become good for African Americans when slavery ended. We, we, of course, the civil rights movement was 
maybe what 50 or so years ago some people are alive that were um, experiencing the civil rights movement many people are still alive so it's not that it was so long ago it's still within this lifetime um, but he talks about things like redlining where African Americans were essentially not allowed to live in certain areas and that when you look at middle-class African Americans or uh, versus middle-class whites there's differences in the places that even they live or what becomes possible for them so the idea that because slavery ended everything became equal is absolutely not true or even because of the civil rights movement um, everything became equal is not true if you stick a knife in someone once you pull the knife out things are not uh, okay they have to still heal and there's a lot of healing that must be done and when we talk about relationships i often mention the power of an apology and acknowledgement that is one of the first steps towards uh, making things better making things okay and i think in the united states although we might think we've acknowledged slavery and what's happened there still is a huge denial people do not want to give up that idea of the beautiful america that was always good always great and always did things in some kind of righteous way we still want to deny that and we have to face that fact and that reality and when we deny it what we're doing is we're denying the suffering of people from the past and the suffering that continues and to me that's unacceptable and something we must not accept um, and he talks a lot in this book this idea of white supremacy which is a very ugly word that people don't like to hear but this is an idea that many people still hold in this country we can't deny that either it's very true and you can see it in how they vote but also in the ideas people share it's not just some very small segment of society they might be more outspoken about it but the idea that white supremacy exists and very likely contributed to the election of donald trump i don't think is uh, a huge leap is making um, uh, a stretch it's very much part of the reality of this country so it's a sobering read but i really hope people everyone will read this book tanahasi coates's book we were eight years in power uh, really uh, as i said he's an incredible writer and it's a very well researched book but it really gives you a perspective of America that very often we try to deny and ignore. And I would hope that we don't ignore it because we would be in denial of the pain that still exists. And the only way we can overcome that, if we are to overcome that, is to acknowledge it and to accept it and then try to make things better. So I hope you'll, you'll read this uh, wonderful book that just came out this year also. Um, so... It's a newer book, and I'm very happy to have read it. ta Coates' book, We Were Eight Years in Power, and I'm very grateful to have read it and grateful to him for having written this book. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. back let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air um hi hello hi hello uh is my voice okay yes it sounds fine thanks for calling 
Thank you for your calling. Yeah, thank you for your answering. Sure. Uh, I'm glad to talk to you, Doctor. Um, I want to talk about my personality and my relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 31 year old. I have studied uh, computer and I work as a software developer in uh, Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, during the, my my life, I was uh, I was good. Per- I was a good student. I always was top. And uh, and uh, every uh, and uh, in every work and situation, I was good. But um, the thing is, um, I'm not good at my relationship. I always choose uh, the wrong people. And uh, and now I, when I review my relationship, I re- I re- realize that they are somehow they have the same pattern. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really now. Uh, tired and sick of these relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is and if the, you're the good news is if you're recognizing the pattern, uh, hopefully we can try to understand it. But you have the power to choose someone else, which is the good news. But I can understand your frustration. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the thing is, I always attract to narcissistic narcissistic people, mm-hmm. and mm, they have passion to me and I always attract to them at first and they always are are good and always are are uh, very attractive to me but after five or three months or something like this they will be cold and everything they uh, everything for them finishes mm-hmm. finish but for me it's just a starting and I stuck to the memory of, of them and I cannot move on mm. and the problem is um, here I, I have now uh, living with my last relationship that is uh, it is for the last year, but I'm now I, I, I suffer from the memory, and I know that it is just in on my mind, and it is not exist. The character is not different from the the real the the, the, the real character is different from what is made up in my right. mind. Mm-hmm. Well, oftentimes, but, you know, the reason why that that could be happening is partially because. Um, they were being different at the beginning, so that's one thing. And people who are narcissists at the be- at the beginning of a relationship can be incredibly charming, and very often, especially a narcissistic man with a woman, the woman feels like they're the luckiest person in the world, and their friends feel the same way because they can be very charming, they can even be extravagant in getting gifts and being very kind, but it's not be- out of a genuine kindness and love. It's more because they want to just have the person and also want the admiration. They want you to think of them as so good, Um, but also because you keep talking about you're having a hard time moving on, there's a good chance this relates to something in your past, so we'll get there too, but you're saying most recently it's hard for you to forget this, the latest relationship you were in. Yeah, exactly. Um, For for further information, the last child, and uh, I have two uh, bigger, uh, older sisters, Mm -hmm. and uh, the the range is my older my oldest uh, sister is uh, have have has uh, uh, ten years older than me and the second is six years older than me mm. and I I must uh, emphasize that during my uh, childhood and my life I think I was alone I mean I don't have any uh, any children around me mm-hmm. and because of that when somebody that is passionate uh, and uh, I like him of course. Of course, um, there was people and there was boys that um, uh, flirted with me and they want to uh, be, have a relationship with me. But 
I don't care about them. I attracted to narcissist people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when they um, uh, they make relationship with me, I really, really, um, uh, I trusted on them, mm-hmm. and and after that, I stuck to them, and it sticking is uh, continuing to until the next person, yeah. next uh, next, I mean next narcissist person, mm-hmm. and it's really hurt. I, I, I'm I'm here. And I'm really, oh, hmm. really upset about it. I'm sure. Well, I mean, uh, unfortunately, if they're, they really are narcissistic, as I said at the beginning, they can be incredibly charming. But uh, a narcissist doesn't have empathy or has a very hard time with empathy or caring about the other person's feelings or what they're going through. So I'm sure you were very hurt by them, especially once you got attached to them and your feelings for them grew. And then if they changed, as you said, they became very cold. I'm sure it was very painful for you. Now, let's look. You told me a bit about your siblings and the age difference, but tell me about your parents. Yeah, I, actually, I don't. I don't have a good father. He, okay. he was. I, I think one of the reasons I chose these men because yeah. it, they are like my 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 father. Mm. He wasn't. Uh, he was selfish, and uh, he didn't. He wasn't. He take doesn't care responsibility for the family. Mm-hmm. And my, my mother actually was the man and the father and the mo- the mother. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my my father was not a good father for me. As far as I know, um, he didn't anything for me. Everything mm-hmm. I ha- I am here is just because of my mom and my my sisters. My father is really mm, nothing in my life. Mm-hmm. He, he just caused me born. That's this, all, yeah. this, were, all the things. Were your yeah. parents married? Did they ever get divorced? Yeah, they they they're divorced. I okay. think it's um, when I graduated uh, from my bachelor degree, they divorced, and after that, I take responsibility. I took responsibility uh, of my mom life and, and myself because the two other sisters got married, and. Uh, uh, luckily, they have good marriage, mm-hmm. uh, but um, now um, I, I was alone with my mother, and the, the, the last thing that happened to me that I was I am successful in my career life, and mm-hmm. I, I I am I mean I have self confidence to have relationship with others, and it is okay. But in my relationship, in love relationship, I'm really bad, and the the last thing that I have a bad memory. Is the the last relationship I have the the thing that is it obvious to me that I want to uh, say to you the thing that I see something bad in the the last person I have relationship with but I don't want to believe it you know I I knew that he consumed drugs I mean not not all the week not during the week mm-hmm. uh, I mean at weekends he uses. Um, cocaine uh, mm-hmm. for party and uh, during the week he used weed but I mean literally he's addicted but I don't want to believe that he's addicted as he is not good for me mm-hmm. I think about the good uh, personality aspect of him I mean he, he was uh, kind to me he was responsible and that is the thing my father was lack of responsibility but he told me that when you come to Europa and here with me, we can make made a life, and I am all for you, and don't worry. And it was really good for me. And I, I said, how? Oh, I, finally, I got a man. 
Uh, but mm. now, then after five months, he said that, no, you're so stubborn and I don't want any contact with you. And after that, it disappeared. And I was so alone. Mm. Well, you know, that you said so alone. That was already something I was feeling. You described it yourself being very alone. The age gap was so big with your your siblings and your father was not really around. And it seems like your mom had to do so much so that although you're, it seems like you're really grateful for everything she did, she wasn't you couldn't get that close to her either when you were younger. So I got the feeling of a very lonely girl. And when you're lonely like that, almost like only child, you are very prone to live in kind of a fantasy world in your head. So you can always be seeing things kind of an idealized way, like a magical way. So with these people you date, like you're saying, it seems like you can be very good at ignoring the reality that can be bad and just focusing on some good things and holding on to them like a fantasy, like a dream, even though it's really not there. Yeah, and even exactly. after yeah. the relationship, you can still see them in this fantasy way of they were so good, they were so great. And of course, you have this strong desire to be loved by a man because your father didn't give you that because of how selfish he was. And it seems clearly like you have still unresolved things with your father, which we know we could talk about. It's easier said than done to just get over that um but you know also i I get the feeling you're very good at taking care of other people but not getting taken care of or having people be there for you um so one thing i would just say first and foremost is your radar is off when you're finding men and for many of us this is the case that when we're looking for a partner so when you next time meet someone you almost have to convince yourself that they are not like the others you have to prove to yourself. So don't just say, oh, I like him. He feels good. You have to stop yourself because that emotional part of you is not making good decisions for you. Some people, you know, when you're having food, you can say the things that taste good, I enjoy. That works. But for you, the people that you're attracted to are not good for you. They hurt you. So you have to be careful about that, that the people you're attracted to, if you're saying it's a pattern, you have to stop yourself first. You can't just go in fully with your heart you have to go in with your head also and think things through and say, okay, can I see any connection between this guy and the other guys or my father? Because that's where you're going to get yourself in trouble. Now, the problem is also that these men, it seems that you're finding at the beginning, they're promising you the world and they're giving you this incredibly good feeling, but maybe they're giving it to you too soon. Meaning that although it feels nice, you have to almost be skeptical about it, that okay, this person is telling me we're going to create a life and do this and do that, but we don't really even know each other yet. And as much as I want to believe him, it's probably not true. He's probably, it's more talk than actually based on in something. And so you have to be more patient because it seems like you're getting too close to these people too quickly when really they're just giving you words rather than actually giving you something. Yeah, yeah. I'm really unpainful. And yeah, yeah, I'm patient. So yeah, I, I want. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm the, the kind of person I want soon my reward, and mm-hmm. I can't wait for it. I, yeah. I, I think you're right. And yeah, that also, that's, that's I my think, problem. yeah, I think that also comes back to the loneliness because maybe you feel so lonely, you so badly want to connect with someone and even merge with them, become like one with them. And so, as soon as they offer you that, even in words, you want to take it. You want to believe the whole thing and take it in and be like, okay, now I'm connected to this person. So I think it's also coming from that 
that loneliness. What is your your social life like outside of romantic? Do you have a lot of friends? Do you spend time with a lot of friends? Um, uh, after uh, before I immigrate, uh, I was uh, in Iran. Yes, I have many friends. Um, I I can I mean uh, I can easily uh, connect it to everyone. They can uh, I, I can speak to them. Uh, they are good with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I I know what is it, but I can um, connect to everyone. Uh, but uh, yes, it is okay with me. But here, as uh, I'm here in uh, Germany uh, uh, for five months, and I'm really, you know, I'm really uh, having fight with myself that I want to uh, control myself and I, I want to see others. I, I want to uh, choose someone right. But the problem is, I, I, as far as I know, uh, the chain of these wrong decisions is because of the. I want to get rid of the the the, the last one, mm-hmm. so I choose the wrong person after that, and it is the like to change and the continuous yeah. change. And now I just want to get rid of this 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 loneliness, I, these the memories. I don't want any relationship. Well, it's interesting. I, I, you, I'm okay. Did you, I don't you know? You said I want to get rid of this loneliness. I think that's the problem, and I think maybe you misspoke. You meant to say the memories, but that that's the problem. And you know, you said it's a chain, and I agree with you. The problem is the chain goes all the way back to your father. It doesn't just start with these yeah. guys, and you're having a hard time. I think letting go of that idealized view of your father first. Although you're saying he's selfish, uh, and you you're saying he wasn't a good father. I think there's still part of you that wants him to be this perfect dad or wants to not lose that image of him or hope that he can be something. So I think you haven't fully accepted your past and who your father was. And because of that, even with these men, you still hold this idealized view of them, that they're better or you can hold on to. But remember after the first month, he said this. So what does that mean? So maybe he still does love me or he was so sweet at the beginning that's part of him. Maybe I can get that back or something like that. And not looking at the reality of, look how bad they treated me after that. Look how selfish he was. Look how much he didn't care about me. Look how he just threw me aside after a few months and totally switched. That's who he is. But you try to hold on to the mm-hmm. fantasy. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, you were almost like an only child with the age gap in some ways. Like you were, the, And I get the feeling of you can go into this fantasy world too much. And even maybe in your work, you're very isolated. I'm not sure exactly how your work is when you talked about being a software developer, but I could see you being isolated. So I'm getting this image of you um, as someone who can live in this idealized world in your head and in the world of memories and the world of fantasy. And I think it's getting you in trouble. That's why I was asking about your social life. Are you spending time with lots of friends here now in, in Germany? Do you get to make a lot of friends? Do you have a lot of... People? Yeah, not not a lot of, but I have uh, some uh, girlfriends uh, that we can spend uh, weekend tonight uh, together. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not alone. Actually, I have a roommate, my best friend from the university, my col- my uh, yeah, my colleague's uh, friend. Mm-hmm. So I'm not alone. But the loneliness is I cannot explain. Yeah. You know, I'm in the bottom of the group, but. I, I feel lonely. I, mm. I want to be with him. That The man is like poison. I, I mean, yeah. he's so selfish. And Actually, the thing is, I, I can recognize a, a junkie man from the normal man. The problem is that the, the last relation I have, 
Yeah, he is a very good, intelligent software developer, mm-hmm. but he he uses drugs. I mean, I can't believe it. I can't believe that he is addicted. I just said that no, he's casual using. It's yeah. not. It is not addicted. You know, but even you know, something it's, about it's, the it's, yeah, you know, but there's something even about the addict that can attract you that they're not. They're kind of distant when someone is on drugs. They're not really there, and there's something you're used to that because you said your father wasn't really around. So. You can get used to that. Something about that feels comfortable for you, and you can accept mm-hmm. that. And that's that's part of the problem. Now, we got to commercial break. I do want to continue with you a little bit more after the break. So just hold okay. on, and we'll talk more after the break, okay? Okay, sure. All right. Okay. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Back before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, hi. Okay. Hi again. Yes, all right. So we're talking a bit about the the men that you have been choosing. You talked about your father and um, the idea of saying that you tend to idealize the men. Now, do you ever find that you idealize them and then after a while you see them in a very negative way or you tend to keep them in that idealized state? Uh, yes, um, you know, um, I mean, it's so, um, uh, it is not a, a good frequency. I mean, um, a, little, a, a while I think about negative, I I, um, uh, I mean, uh, I realize that it is not good and I, uh, sure, I'm sure that I don't want these men. And, but after that, for example, uh, in the morning, I decided not to, t- to think about him. Mm-hmm. But afternoon, in afternoon, it really comes back, and you know, mm-hmm. it's really like this is not, uh, this is not a good, this is not um, regularly, and this happened more, and more. And I, 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 I cannot, I, I'm not, I cannot, and I don't know how to stop thinking, how to push them away. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know about pushing them away, and I know the way you've been trying to do that is to find someone else to fill that that space fill that void but i keep getting that feeling that it's the unresolved feeling from your father that you're you're trying to re or to take care of you're trying to have as you mentioned yourself a man who will love you and give you all the attention that you want uh but unfortunately you pick men that are like your father that won't give you what you want and that's what most of us do we find someone who actually has the same problems um that we think are going to make us happy, but they're actually the ones that hurt us. So you, you keep finding men like your dad. D- did your father have any issue with addiction himself? No, he didn't. Uh, actually, just he uh, smoked a lot, but after uh, he had a um, heart attack, something like this, he quit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just uh, uses, um, he smokes. But okay. now he's... Um, uh, to be honest, I don't have any feelings about my dad. Uh, sometimes I feel pity for him, mm-hmm. but I don't have any hate. I mean, I, I, I forgive, forgave him because I think he suffers from lack of knowledge. I, I think he is miserable too. So um, I don't have any hate about him, uh, hmm. just sometimes um, about him. But um, um, yeah. and, and there is no hate here. I see. Okay, well, I don't know yeah. why. Well, you talk about the, and I'm not saying you necessarily hate him, but uh, even here, it seems like you're trying to protect him more than, 
then focus on yourself. Maybe you were angry at him before, but I get this feeling that you, you don't want to see him in a negative way, that you want to hold him in a positive light, which, like I said, could be part of the issue that you see these men in a positive way even when they're not giving you anything positive. There's nothing mm, yeah. quite there. But there is a fear you have of loneliness or fear of, um, I'm wondering if, if there's a fear of abandonment that you might have. When you're dating someone, do you feel like you very quickly fear that you're going to lose them even before it, it's true? Like you have a fear of losing someone? You need them to be constantly close to you? Um, yes, sometimes I feel it. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he's so cute to me, so uh, kind to me. But uh, in my background of head, I, I, I said that, Oh come on, he's a liar. Soon he he's gonna be uh, left you. It is mm. like a sparks of the idea in my head. But um, yes, for example, there the the the, the limit that they can uh, so nice to me. But um, in my mind, always there is uh, something like this. I mean, unsecure feeling. Yeah. That, no, don't trust him. Yeah. So the fear of abandonment is there. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's even easier to choose guys that leave you, make it happen sooner than tend to not know. But it seems like you pick men that aren't going to be, aren't going to stay there with you, aren't going to to be there. Um, and then when they leave, although you're sad, maybe you it at least confirms your expectation. There's something that you like. Now, when they end things, how do you respond to them? Do you try to make get them back? For example, with this man uh, that you're talking about. No, the thing is, I just, um, uh, I mean, it is, I carry on myself. I never texted him. I never call him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it isn't sometimes, it is some, I think it is because of my ego, because I don't want to uh, hurt my image of uh, my character on his mind, mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm needy or something like this. But myself hurt a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I, during all time, I uh, I keep it in my mind all his memories, all the good one, not the bad one. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, um, I really believe that when uh, uh, I want, I can have a relationship with the person uh, that I attracted to him. For example, I have many dates that they are so reasonable guy. They have a good association life. In them. they have a good career, but. Because of that, there is no attraction. I just pull them away. Mm -hmm. But mm, because of that, I must wait, wait, wait for other uh, narcissist people. And during this gap, I carry carry them uh, carry their memories with me, and I, I really suffer. Hmm. But yeah, so you, when you find reasonable guys that are good for you, you don't you don't find yourself attracted to them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, hmm. I mean, um, I, I don't know wh where is it, what is it, and um, how can I mm, convince myself that he's a good person? Because I think um, uh, if I, my mind and my my logic can't uh, convince me he's good for you, I must attract to him. I don't know, it's chemical or anything else. But um, if there is nothing like this, um, it didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you're saying is it chemical, you know, of course, in a way it is, there's going to be things going on in your brain, but it seems again, like you have to be attracted. Unfortunately, you get attracted to the wrong kind of men. Um, the book getting, getting the love you want by Harville Hendricks. Have you read that book before? 
excuse me, I don't get you. There's what a, do you mean? There's a book called Getting the Love You Want. No, I didn't read it. Okay. It's by Harville Hendricks. And in that book, he talks about how we um, tend to find or look for romantic partners that somehow remind us of the negative parts of our parents. Because that's what it seems like you're doing, that they have to have those negative things. You're, you're aware of it, but unfortunately it's hard to turn that off. That when you see them, you're attracted to men that are bad for you, unfortunately. And then you pursue those relationships. And of course, you get hurt by them because these men are narcissistic and selfish like your father was. And they're going to hurt you. And so you put yourself in that same situation again. Uh, if you haven't already, I'd say read that book, but also you're going to have to go to therapy because you're not, you haven't healed that original wound. I know you're saying you're, um, you're not mad at your father and maybe you're not, but I get the feeling you are, but you don't want to acknowledge it. And so instead of being over that past wound from him, you're carrying it forward and recreating it or having new people open that wound for you each time. And it's not going to get better, hoping they're going to heal you, but they actually hurt you exactly the same way. Okay, uh, so you recommended me to go to therapy in here. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I think there. Yeah, find a therapist you can connect with. I know maybe you feel like it's hard. You'd rather. What What's your concern about seeing a therapist there? Um. Um. I mean. Um. I don't. I don't. I. I, uh, I didn't have any research about it, but I think um, uh, there. Uh, there are people who can speak English. There are therapists. I think. Okay. Is en- English that. English is more comfortable for you than German? Yeah, yeah. Okay. If that's the case, then go ahead and do that. I mean, the most important thing in therapy is to find someone we feel comfortable with, both in how you get to express yourself, but also, of course, how they make you feel and how, how comfortable you feel with them. So find someone you feel comfortable with. I think absolutely if you're you're having these patterns, you want to continue that. And like I said, it's... Unfortunately, because you're coming from this place of trying to take away a feeling of loneliness, um, it's like you're looking for drugs and the drugs hurt you, you know, and you find these people that actually hurt you and maybe for a moment they make you feel good. And then you also hold on to their memories, even not their genuine memories, just the positive part that you make idealize in your own mind. And you hold on to that and make it, um, you know, hold on to that instead of living in the reality of your life. So I think absolutely going to therapy would be good for you to to get you, first of all, more in touch with yourself, but also to help you recognize the feelings you have towards your father and how they might be really affecting who you're choosing to be with and the relationships you're in. Yes, I have another question. Sure. Um, um, it is good for me to meet foreigner guy, for example, to have dates with them. Is it, is it okay to have to meet uh, uh, other guy from uh, other culture? Um, because um, to be honest, I uh, I lost my uh, trust on Iranian boys. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it is too big, but um, I prefer to have a, a relationship uh, with other uh, with other people uh-huh. in, uh, uh, from other culture. But um, I don't have any experience about it. I want to know that um, according to my personality and my life, is it good for me or generally it doesn't work? Well, I mean, it's hard to, you know, I can't tell you it's good for you specifically. But, you know, when you're dating, culture is a big part of who you are and who anyone is. And it's going to play a part in when you're you're dating someone. So you do have to be aware of that. It, It can be, it will be a challenge if you find someone who is culturally different from you. 
Now, just because someone is Iranian doesn't mean that they are culturally the same as you. There's a wide range in that. Um, and just because someone is, let's say, German doesn't mean they have to be very different from you. But you have to be ready that it's going to be challenging. It might not be easy. So I'm not going to tell you it's good for you or it's bad for you. But we have to be realistic and recognize that when you date someone from a different culture, um, first of all, we always can be from different cultures because, like I said, just because you're both even Iranian doesn't make you the same. But you have to be ready for that challenge. It's not going to be easy. And you have to f feel that the person understands you, understands your background, understands where you're coming from. If you don't have that, it's going to be hard to have a relationship. So you have to be ready for that. Sometimes the newness of someone different can be exciting, but then when we start to get to know each other and we want to make sure they understand us, we see something is missing. So I wouldn't say don't date someone different culture than you, but just be ready for those challenges, that there there is going to be issues that will come up, that you have to make sure you understand one another, they can understand you, um, your values have to be similar. All those kinds of things have to be in place. And, and if they're not, it's going to be hard. So I wouldn't be opposed to you dating someone outside of the Persian culture, especially because you're living in a different country. But don't think that that's the solution, that all Persian men are going to be bad. And then if I find a non-Persian, it's going to work out. That that's, that's not going to be, it's not an easy way out, but that's going to be up to you to figure out who the person is and what you create with them and who they are. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I have a little question. Okay, little question, go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, um, some part of me is uh, trying to uh, have a relationship and have a, some find a, a way to contact uh, with my ex-boyfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he. I mean, I have a real challenge with that part of me. Um, uh, so, uh, what should I do with the, this part of my uh, challenge? Well, you know, that's. I really want to come back yeah. to him because I think when he was good, I I really like his kindness, affection. Right, but you know, so a few things. You know, when we, it's always a hard thing when we have an ex to let go. Um, but of course, we always want to look at what's hard for us to let go of, and it seems like part of what you're having a hard time letting go of is the part of him that really wasn't who he was. And I'm not saying he wasn't kind, but the way you're describing him, if he was a narcissist, as I mentioned before, that kindness at the beginning wasn't about because he genuinely cared so much and he's a, a kind-hearted, loving person. It was because he wanted to get you or get you to like him and admire him. So you can hold on to those things he said, but if you don't recognize the whole picture and see who he was overall then you're going to lose sight of what really was going on. So you're still holding on to that that fantasy of who he was. And maybe that's part of it is you want to believe that he was who you thought he was in that good time. Just like I'm saying, I think with your father, you're still doing that. Somewhere you still want to have a positive image of him, even if you don't consciously accept that. But you want to believe your ex-boyfriend was, was who he was when he was good. And I want you to recognize that it seems that who he was when things were good was not who he actually was. It was just to get you to like him, to get you to be with him. At least that's the the kind of the playbook of a narcissist is their love doesn't come from I actually love you. It comes from I want you to love and admire me and to have you as basically a possession, but I don't actually care about you. So yes, you want to reach out to him. That That's common. But 
I don't think you're going to get anything good out of it. And I hope you would resist that urge and try to recognize what is it I want to get from reaching out to him. Um, and it seems like you think it's to, to get him to be that person he used to be, which he never really was. But to me, going to therapy again would help you with this too, of letting go of that past. It seems like there's not anything good left there um, other than to learn from it. But to reach out to him would almost inevitably just hurt you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your advice sure, and your thank time. My pleasure. Nice talking I, I'm to you. Really good. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. All thank right. you. Take care. Uh, Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Yeah, uh, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you for calling. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Dr. Faiz, for having me. My pleasure. Um, uh, sorry about my voice. I'm sick at home, and um, that's why I could call you. That That's mm-hmm. actually the only chance I uh, could have my questions about my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I get back to work, it's not going to be easy to make a phone call during work hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, uh, this is about my son who is 15 years old, mm-hmm. high school sophomore, sophomore, and um, he is diagnosed with OCD. Mm-hmm. Currently on a medication, Zoloft or Sertraline, 100 milligram. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he has depression and anxiety, and he talked to you last week. Yes. Okay. Now I remember. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because he was suspended from school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted to pursue uh, a, a music career, right? Huh? He wants to pursue a career in music. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember him. Yeah. yeah. He is. Yeah. He is uh, producing rap. And uh, he's actually not bad, but uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. I am, I don't know, that's another subject that we may need to talk about it, the whole thing, some other time. Sure. Uh, for now, he was suspended from school, and I knew before that I have smelled in marijuana a couple of times, mm-hmm. but then last time he got caught at a school with two other friends, and... Um, they had, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, they didn't smoke, but um, they had all the um, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, that was the reason that we talked. I uh, I asked him to talk to you. Um, we talked to his psychiatrist um, a few days ago, and he explained to him that in the short run. And this may makes you feel better, and you you may feel that it, it, it helps you, but in the long run, it's not going to help you. It's going to make your problem worse. Mm-hmm. So he told me, he promised me that he's not going to go around 
marijuana anymore. But okay. now I have a, I have my question as a parent. To be honest, I'm not trusting him mm-hmm. because he's been telling me other things, and um, and I eventually find that that he lied. Like for example, if I one day I was. Every every day at work, I text him to make sure after school he goes home and take the dog out. And um, and one day I was sick and I couldn't go to work and I was home. I couldn't. It was my back, so I wasn't able to move. So I texted him that where are you? And he said like after school hanging out with friends. And I asked him, did you go home to take Charlie out? And he was like, yes. And I was home, so I knew that he mm-hmm. is just lying. Uh, and a couple of other examples I can tell you that I caught him, and I know that he lies sometimes. Okay. So there's a trust issue here for mm-hmm. me, and I guess he knows about it. Um, he loves to hang out with friends. And the friends and a group of friends that he is involved with, they're not right kids. He has changed all his friends since he went to high school because up to high school, I knew all the friends. They went to kindergarten, the whole uh, primary school and the middle school together. I know the families. We know each other, but he changed them all. So he's with totally different group of kids at high school, mm-hmm. and I don't know most of them. Yeah, but you're not going to. That that's you know you have to accept. Yeah, this is right. This is I know, my but question. you have to accept he's becoming fifteen, sixteen. You're going to know a lot less about his life. That's just part of the process. For you to know as much about his friends now as you did when he was five would be weird. So you know he's going to have that. That's kind of. I, mean, I know you don't maybe like them. Um, but that's that's going to kind of be the way it goes. You, you have, you're going to have less awareness. I get the feeling you want to have more control over him, but that's not exactly. going to work. Yeah, it's not going to yeah. work. Even the it's idea of work. even the idea of you know, tell me you're not going to smoke marijuana anymore. To me, it's kind of an empty threat or decision or gesture because if he wants to right. do it, he's going to do it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It doesn't matter what you think. So to yeah. to make that, it's only just going to create a a situation where he's going to just lie to you and, and it creates more space between you and him rather than makes you closer. Exactly. That's why I'm 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 glad you explained it this way, but I mm-hmm. couldn't be that clear. But what is my role? What am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? Just continue and just just leave him? And if, if he does it again and again and again, then... What, what's do it? What's do it again and again? Huh? You said if this let him do it again and again. What's it? Like the, the smoking thing. Well, I mean, That's... like I said, whether or not he's going to smoke, he's going to make that decision. I understand you don't want him to, but you can't control that. Now, if you have rules like you can't smoke at home or you can't something like that, you, you can. Obviously, that that's something that you can. Even that he might be able to get around. But really, you can't control that he smokes or not. Or even if you get into debates, as many parents do with their kids, of why marijuana is bad for you. Um, you probably won't get very far. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he wants to smoke and he's going to smoke and, you know, that that's mm-hmm. not going to really convince him. 
Uh, otherwise, if you say, oh, look, I printed an article online showing research that marijuana affects the brain in this way, he probably won't care very much about that. Yeah. I would care more about what's going on for him. I remember last time he also had a, from what you told me, he had a lot of anger, and I think his father was not very much in his life, right? Right. So tell me again about that. What was, how, what was his father, how involved was he or how involved is he now in his life? He's not very involved. He, yeah. he calls in maybe like a 10-second call um, every day after school. That mm-hmm. he, oh, My son doesn't want to talk to him much. Um, and he said, uh, just because he asked me stupid questions mm-hmm. and um, I just don't want to have this talk. Yeah. Uh, he sees him every two weeks, but the visit is half an hour or... <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. But so virtually no relationship with his father. I'm trying to control the cough. Go- go. <laughs> That's okay. But you're saying basically basically, there's no relationship there. I, maybe I can, I'll, I'll help you by talking a little bit more too. Um, but last time I also remember when he was talking about, when he was talking about his OCD, he, it's really, uh, it puts a lot of stress on him. And even I think he was telling me he doesn't talk to his friends about it, right? What he goes through. So, you know, your son is suffering. Yeah. So your son is really suffering and we have to rem- remember that. I mean, having OCD and of course that's an anxiety disorder, but very often depression can come with it and it seems like you're saying he's dealing with that and I'm glad he's on medication and I know he said I remember him talking about going to therapy but he felt like maybe it doesn't help much but he does like his therapist that's good we got to keep doing those things but rather than focusing just on something like marijuana I'd focus on your son really going through a lot OCD is very very difficult and you know almost debilitating mental illness not having his father in his life is very difficult um so we have to be aware that he's going through a lot. He's really suffering. So I, I would focus on that and how he's doing rather than trying to control himself, his environment, yeah. his friends, which he won't let you do anyway. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's why it is. But then he, he actually told you that he didn't tell his friends about his OCD. Yeah. And now he asked me not to tell them about the suspension. Okay. So... I really don't know why he's covering all this from his, his even close friends. Well, you know, he's very uh, he's very ashamed of it. I mean, OCD, people who have OCD, they usually don't feel good about what they're going through, and they hide it, and it can make them feel very alone because it can take up so much time in their life and be so much a part of their day, but then they have they feel that they have to hide it from people, and, of course, that makes them more distant. So he's... He's very shameful. He has, he experiences a lot of shame. That's something you have to be aware of. Yeah. And so I want uh-huh. you not to make him feel worse about who he is or the kind of person he is and to get him to feel good about himself and to love himself. So um, that that's something I'd focus on. Your your son is really going through a lot. OCD is very, very difficult illness. And so he said it really, he didn't want to even really talk about it much with me about how what he does and the, the things he does, but it... it yeah. It's really hurting him. So um, I would focus on that. Yeah. Would I prefer he doesn't smoke marijuana? Yes. But do we have d- direct control over that? No. So no. we have to recognize that that's not going to change. I'm glad he's on, you know, seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist. I'd really focus on that and making sure he's consistent about those things. Yeah. 
Yeah, he does, but, you know, last time we went to see the psychiatrist, um, the, the therapist actually discharged him because through the <coughs> insurance... <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. I know you said it was you were, it was good that you were sick, so you could call. But I know it's making you hard to to talk. Also, yeah, yeah. Um, but they discharged him because he every time he was he made excuses not to see the therapist, mm-hmm. and she said, "I have to discharge him because they come to my place," and she said. You have to find somewhere that you take him, because mm-hmm. that way uh, he can't, you know. Oh, the therapist would come to your home. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, one thing I mentioned with him too, and I'll mention to you, and maybe this therapist already was this type of therapist, but you want to make sure whoever you take him to specializes in OCD. That's that's one of my questions. Yeah. Actually, I got the list of all the the facilities that they, they go with my insurance, yeah. but they don't have anyone specializing in OCD. So I was going to ask you, if you know anyone in Los Angeles who live in South Bay Area, mm-hmm. so I was wondering if you can give me, yeah, even though it's out of insurance, then... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because of how important it is, you know, when it comes to OCD, it is so important to have a therapist who specializes in it. Because I mentioned this to him actually last week, that if it's someone who does not um, specialize in uh, OCD, they're actually not going to be very good for therapy for someone like that. In L.A., I know uh, of one psychologist, Dr. Tabasson Vahidi, who's very good with OCD. Uh, Dr. Vahidi? Yes, I can give you her number. Yeah, it's, I appreciate it. Sure. Also. It's 323 uh-huh. 813 uh-huh. 6070. Uh-huh. And that's like in um, in LA. Yeah, I, I, her office is in the West LA area. So I would give her a call um, and she can be very helpful to you because she really specializes in OCD. And as I was saying, when it comes to OCD, the therapist ha- is very important. The regular type of therapy can actually be harmful to them. So uh, give her a call, and and you know even if you have to pay out of pocket, if you can make it work, I would say do that because it's going to be very important so, for for his you know okay. treatment. What was her first name? Tabasum. Tabasum. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you don't know anyone in in um, South Bay. South area. Bay, no, not definitely not off the top of my head, no. But I'd give her a call, and she can even help you out. But she, she's really good, and and I hope you feel better too. Oh, well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. That's all right. I I truly apologize, and I appreciate your time and your patience. My pleasure. No, it's nice talking to you. But I hope you'll give her a call, and I'm sure she'll be able to help you. But yeah, hope you feel better and uh, best of luck Thank to you, you and your son. Thank you so much, Doctor. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, you're listening to In Session with Doctor Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back.
back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, I had a... Is this Dr. Kolagi? Yes, it's Dr. Kolagi, yes. Yes, uh, I want to talk to you about my 11-year-old. Uh, I have an 11-year-old son that um, I went to a, a divorce. Uh, and they're, they're single parents, and uh, we have joint custody of him. Okay. He's been uh, have a, a lot of oppositional defiance. Uh, does not want to go to bed on time, mainly because uh, in the other household uh, things are a little different. And now he's actually uh, called me all kind of names, and uh, and um, he even got attacked me physically to uh, not to go to bed at. Uh, 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 that time. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what I need to do as far as, uh, um, you know, it's very disturbing to other people in the household. And uh, I thought about getting a therapy involved, but he also, uh, um, and then like in the morning, it's like it's never happened. Uh, he sometimes even apologizes, but he's very sensitive about his Xbox games and all the games he does, and he kind of can get off of it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he won't get, uh, you know, he, won't, he, he will continue, and he will say, Dad, I don't need any sleep. And uh, it's it just, uh, I was wondering if you have any kind of recommendation regarding the uh, people who are dealing with this kind of, uh, kind of a between adolescent and teenagers, mm-hmm. and uh, if there's anything, any coping mechanism or... I don't know if something I need to do. Um, of course, we had a very heated divorce when he was young. He was only two years old or three years old, and that did not that has not helped the situation. Of course, but um, I I uh, was told by professionals like yourself never badmouth the other parents yes. no matter what. Mm-hmm. But they also call me. Uh, they also tell my son, you know, your dad is this and this mm-hmm. and all kind of bad and then he gets really hurt about that sure like, uh, he doesn't know and i thought about going to the legal source because uh, he's even uh he even says I, I shouldn't be making choice like that but my mom forced me not to see you sometimes so i don't know if this is residual from her now that he thinks he can just uh, walk all over me and even uh, attack me so there's a couple of things, yeah. but I don't know what avenue should I go. I thought about uh, getting therapists. Some people suggest me, uh, you know, you need to figure out uh, what's bothering him, have the one-to-one talk. And now it's, it's actually, as he gets older, it's actually things that come in more on the surface than ever. Although he never, he's not that way with the mom in the mom's house apparently he's a good kid there he's actually afraid of them as much and he's, he told me frankly that I'm, I'm not scared of you i felt very comfortable so i say as it is that uh, well that can be a good thing so you know you're bringing up a lot of things so let me address some of them um first of all you know it seems like you're saying from what you hear from him that you're ex-wife is saying negative things about you and i hope you continue to restrain yourself from saying negative things about 
her because what we're talking about is your son is in between you and her and if she fires bullets to hit you you don't want to fire bullets back to hit her because they hit him more than anyone so you're hurting right. him if you if you uh fire back in kind so i'm glad you're not doing that uh, now a big thing you know there's this very commonly used term for divorced families and that's called co-parenting and as much as you and his mom seem like you don't get along you said the divorce was very heated so i'm sure you guys don't have this healthy relationship or happy relationship with each other but because of him you have to find a way to co-parent him meaning that you have to work together so as long as as much as you're not married anymore and you don't have a relationship to work on you still do have this son that you're working on together or working to parent together and you have to be able to come to some type of agreements and um, ideas that you can keep a consistency between the two homes and that things become balanced so this is very very important and you don't have to like each other you don't have to love each other but because you both love him you work together so it's not about you or her it's about him and so you have to have some level of communication and connection about that to make things work and even getting a therapist involved is not a bad idea because you were talking about legally approaching things which is possible but in a way, a therapist can also be an intermediary between you and her and with your son to make things a little bit more smooth. So I'm very much in favor of that. Uh, first of all, you have to make sure he wants it. But even if he doesn't want it personally, then I would tell him it's about the family. So uh, it's not about him being a problem. It's that the family has a problem, which seems like really that's the reality of the situation. He's not the problem. Um, now, about you and him, it's, it's very complicated because I don't know if he's angry with you or not and that's something worth exploring but maybe what he is telling you in that he is not afraid of you as much as very often parents think and especially fathers think their kids have to be afraid of them it's not a good thing and because he's not afraid of you maybe with you he can express what he's actually feeling which i know doesn't feel good for you when he is in that way um expressing himself negatively with you and you can create boundaries with him so you don't have to allow him to disrespect you that is actually something you can talk to him about but there could be something good here in that he's able to express his anger towards you uh that might be about everything about the divorce about his mom because he is not afraid of you sure he's now getting to the age it wasn't like that uh, uh some time ago but in the last six months, or actually in the last few months, he not he not actually uh, not only disapprove what they say negative thing about me. He actually freely says how bad his mom is at the time. But I don't I don't support it. I will just say, look, you have to respect. I, I don't I can't talk about your mom what you're saying. But he expressed freely. Oh, you know, she gets this and this, and she doesn't do this for me. Mm-hmm. And how dare she does it? I mean, he complains very freely about everything to me. And I, it wasn't like that. He used to actually be protective of her. Yeah. And I was letting that happen. But it sounds like he was just covering up. Now he's getting to the age he knows about how the children should be. He, he even says, well, I feel like... I'm under a lot of pressure from my mom to choose to be with them. And I know they don't, this is not genuine. It's all about so-and-so or money, for, for instance. It's just very shocking to me 
that is getting to that level of understanding because mm-hmm. at school they're learning about finances and stuff like that. And uh, it's like a weekly thing. He keeps surprising me with his knowledge and come up with it. But he talks extremely, I mean, very freely. But I try to keep my boundaries. I, I don't try, but he knows how to push my button mm-hmm. by eventually getting me anger, which I'm trying to prevent. Well, that's the part. Yeah, that's the part you have to be aware of. You know, you know, you talked about the heated divorce and the way you described yourself. There's some anger there, too. So his anger is a reflection of what's going on to him and what is being modeled for him. Now, you can't control what his mom does, but you absolutely control can control what you do. So what you're telling me is he's trying to create a relationship with you um, that's positive, although he might be. Uh, not listening to you and in other ways you feel like disrespecting you. I understand that. But there is definitely these ways that he's trying to connect with you. And when he talks bad about his mom, I think it's good that you don't join in and say bad things about her. You can listen to him, though. You know, you can say, you know, I understand that sounds difficult, you know, and be there for him. But it seems clearly that he's trying to understand how he can have a relationship with you. And you, of course, have most of the responsibility to help to create the environment to have that relationship with him. That's very, very important. But this is something I also want to point out because so many families that get divorced go through this, where the parents end up being in a competition to the with the kids of who's the better parent, that I'm the mom is better, dad is better, let me badmouth him or her and talk about how great I am. And in trying to win that conversation, what they don't realize is, or that competition, what they don't realize is that they lose their kids. They lose the relationship with their children. And it becomes more about them than their kids. So don't try to win right now. And as you're seeing, kids become aware of what's going on. I've seen it happen so many times before that the kids will say, when I was younger, I thought my mom or my dad was like the good guy and the other parent was evil. Then I started to realize it was actually the opposite because my... Doctor, he's saying, I yeah. when I was younger, right. I thought my mom always said, You don't pay any money and you're a deadbeat father. But now I learned that you are paying. I actually asked my mom, and she still make it like you don't, you're not helpful. But I know I now learn, yeah. This, and I thought, How do you learn? Well, so, well, I have your passport, I was able to get into account. I'm like, <laughs> You're not allowed to do that, yeah. But well, then he's... he says, Well, I went and confronted my mom. And my mom couldn't say anymore. He says, well, this is private, but I, I'm not going to. And then he confronted his mom, and he got really mad. And then his mom sent me a message that he's extremely mad that he under, now understands that you're paying support. Yeah. I said, well, if he wants to know, I'm not going to share with him. But if he asks you, see, the thing is, I've learned from my uh, other people that professional like you, you have to have some sort of integrity to your kids because sooner or later, they'll learn. If they ask you a question... That you can you can either not say you know, it's not the time, but you have to say yes, it's true or not. If you say lie and not cover up, it will come back and absolutely, you. absolutely. You know, and I shared so this. this yeah, this, let me just say, you know, this, this idea I have. I want to. Yeah, let me just quickly tell you that the, the idea about. Um, making sure the kids don't get sacrificed. I shared the story recently where there was two women that were claiming that this boy was their son and they went to this wise elder to decide whose kid it was. And he said, you're going to pull on your kid, you know, pull and see who gets the kid. And so they started pulling and one of the moms, one of the women let go and the elder realized you are the true mom because you couldn't 
dare to have your child hurt, so you didn't want to pull on him, whereas the other one just selfishly wanted the kid for themselves. So we see this in divorce where we can try to win and look good and be better and say, look, the kid is with me and look how much the kid loves me or whatever it is. But that's not coming out of genuine love for your child. So we have to sometimes let go in the moment and even look like the bad guy or the one who's not as good and recognize that, first of all, we don't want to hurt our kid. And second of all, in the long run, your child will likely become aware of the reality and let them figure that out. But be patient, which I think you're trying to do. But you do have to work things out with his mom, not in your relationship with her, but with your relationship as co-parents. And I think we lost the caller. But it's very important as co-parents to work together. Again, you don't have to love each other or like each other, but because of your love for your child, you must somehow find a way to make it work together. And so I hope you can uh, continue to do that, but also continue to recognize that your son is looking for a relationship with you. He's trying to get close with you. He has a lot of anger towards you, towards his mom, towards the situation. Uh, if your mom, if his mom has been telling him negative things about you for a long time, he carries that with him too. He's probably very confused. That's what you're seeing. There's a, a anger and a resistance towards you, but then there's also a desire for connection with you. And your job is to foster the connection, foster the love, and not to focus or be preoccupied with the negativity that's there that we understand. And I absolutely hope you get a therapist involved because I think that can help smooth over that process as well. So thank you for your, your call. Uh, we're at our next commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. Yes, hello. Thanks for calling. My pleasure. Uh, I would like to say thank you for that part you're talking about groups. Mm-hmm. I really like that part. About, about groups? The, you know, the, the part you are talking about books. Oh, books. Thank you. Yes, good. I'm happy you like that. Yeah. I, I enjoy it too. Like now I'm reading the Gifted Child book. Yes, that's a great one. Drama of the Gifted Child. Yeah, but I yeah. think it's a little bit exaggerating. I don't know. <laughs> when you say exaggerating, what do you mean? It means he, he, he believes or she, I don't know. It's a she, Alice uh, Miller. She believes everything related to our childhood, hmm. like uh, depression, anxiety, or problem. Yeah, you know, and I, maybe maybe I can see your, your point in that, but I think it, it's... In a way, because we tend to underestimate sometimes the significance of it. And I think there's this idea everyone says, oh, you go to therapy and they tell you it's all about your mom or your dad and all that. And maybe there there can be an exaggeration, but I think it's in response to how much people try to deny that it has an effect. Or as she talks about in that book, the idea that people very often try to paint a very happy picture of their childhood and of their parents. They want to hold on to that idealized view of what happened to them and that their parents were good and loved them and very often that means they deny their very real pain and what they carry with them that they continue to suffer from in their life so yeah. that that's what i would say but you know I, overall i think it's a very good book for me it was eye-opening when i first read it years ago because i yeah. can relate a lot to it but it was, it's a good so book my question mm-hmm. is related exactly about my parent okay yeah 
But I had a lot of issues, but you know I don't have that much time with you today. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can call you back next I week. hope you do, yeah. We have about uh, 10 minutes. I hope you do call back again, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah, you know what? Uh, my, my, my father like uh, passed away two years ago, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about her, his personality. He's, he was a little bit narcissist. Uh-huh. He, he he couldn't like uh, accept any uh, critique, any talking against him, whatever. But my problem, he was nice a little bit. Like uh, I, I I could study because of him because he helped me a lot. Um, like when I was I I was born in a small village, but he didn't let me to walk. He said to me, oh you know you know you should study, you should go and have master. Okay. from a very good university in Iran. Uh, so the problem, he did not accept uh, a woman as a, as a, she can have a right. Like uh, she was fighting a lot with mom, mm-hmm. with my mom. And uh, like uh, sometimes she, she had a broken head, she had a broken like arm. I, I remember one time, they had a lot of fight, and my mother couldn't talk for a while, and uh, I decided to call urgence or take her to the hospital. But I, I was like maybe 12 years old. I really scared. Hmm. Sometimes because of that, now I have a lot of anxiety. Now was I there? You mean you mean he was physically abusive towards her? Yeah, she couldn't talk. She was she couldn't open her mouth. You know because of I don't know if she, it was real or she was. Pretending, I don't know. I was a kid. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Whatever it was was very intense. You know, but you know, it's interesting how you started the conversation saying, and I'm glad you're reading the book, but saying how you thought it was exaggerated, um, and maybe exactly what you're talking about is precisely what she describes in the book. This idea that we'd like to think that our childhood wasn't as bad as it really was, or that our parents were good. Even the way you talked about your father, first you said he was a narcissist, and you said some negative things, but then you went quickly to the positive things. And that's something that she also talks about in the book, that these people describe being beaten by their fathers, but very often saying, I'm so lucky that he did that because it made me the man I am today. And that's an attempt to paint over their childhood and make it look happy, even though it was really, really painful. So I think you might be doing some of what she describes in the book, which is why I'm happy you're reading that book, because it seems like your childhood itself was incredibly painful, and maybe it's too much to feel all that pain all at once, and so you don't want to feel it, but it seems like it's very real and very much there. Yeah, I remember a story. My older sister was two years older than me, Mm -hmm. and uh, one time I, I had a fight with my sister, and, uh, you know, he he wants to catch me, uh, to fight with me. He was, he was following me all the running after me, mm-hmm. all the around all the village. And some kids trying to catch me and give to him. And I was, like, hitting them and running. Wow. Uh, it, it, it was very stressful. Of course. And I wanted to overcome. How How can I... I don't. I know. Based on your father's uh, like advice, I can get rid of those. I should. I should take their poison. How can I do that, Doctor Sorry. Well, that's. I mean, that's easier said than done. To to get. You know, we we want to get 
past our past or get over it, but it's not always so easy. And the first thing is actually what most of us try to do is to go away from the pain. And we think the way to get better is to avoid it. But actually what you have to do is the opposite. Rather than run away from it, you have to turn around and face it directly and go towards the pain and realize that it was horrible. It was unfair. You never deserved to go through what you went through. And you just shared with me a few stories out of what I'm sure is hundreds and thousands of stories and more than just stories, a feeling that you had all the time of probably being afraid and being anxious in your own home. So we can't expect that's just going to go away. And so it would be nice if we can just go in and like a tumor, remove it and you never feel anything again. But more than likely, that's not possible that it just disappears. What you can do is hopefully slowly heal it to some degree and make it better. But rather than going away from the pain, or even when you were saying the story, you were laughing at times. But I know it must have been an incredibly painful memory, and the laughing even itself is a way, uh, kind of a defense against feeling the pain. That, of course, it's so scary that you're running away from your own father in your neighborhood, that you have to be afraid of your father, the person who's supposed to protect you and take care of you. That's a horrible pain and a horrible memory and a horrible feeling to carry with you. And I'm sure you still carry it with you. So what I would ask is rather than turning away from your pain is to turn and face it. And that's exactly the process of therapy is about that, is about facing our pains, not running away. And that's why I often tell people that when you start therapy, you might feel worse before you feel better because all of us at some level are avoiding some of the pains and traumas we have from our past. And what therapy, it, it really I don't want to say forces, but encourages you to do is to then face those pains and you feel them and it could be painful, but that is part of the healing process that hopefully comes about. Yeah. So, so when you say you feel your childhood affects you now, how do you see that in your own life? Well, uh, I think uh, like 10 years ago, not only about because of this one, I had problem with my wife. Mm-hmm. I I had panic, mm-hmm. kind of uh, like scaring from this, scaring from uh, like uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Like when I was going uh, like a like a mountain, for example, I said, "Oh, who, if if I if I got a problem, who can help me here?" Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. So I took some medication. Now I am 100% okay. I am taking, uh, I think, sertraline. And uh, so I, 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 I don't know when can I stop this medication. But, but I have a lot of problems. Yeah. I think one of them is related to my childhood and my father and my mother. Well, I'm sure even that feeling of who's going to help me, who's going to take care of me definitely comes back from, you know, from your childhood. Um, and I'm glad you went to get help and you got the medication and that's good. But sometimes the medication alone, it, it's just going to take away some symptoms, but we're talking about underneath there's some kind of disease or illness that's hurting you. So I'm glad you got help. But if you ask me what you need even more than the medication is to go into long-term therapy because these pains from your past are still there and we can put the medication kind of like a band-aid or something that takes away some of the symptoms, but what's underneath is still there. And that's all, all the pain. So the medication can mask the pain, 
and even help you, which I'm glad you're doing. But I would hope you actually, like I said before, go and face all of that pain head on in therapy to to get past that. Or I don't want to say get past it as in that's so easy, but to actually heal some of it. Even in how you talk, I feel a heaviness in, in your voice, a pain in how you communicate. Um, so I, I'm yeah. sure it permeates you at a deep level. It's not just something that's on the surface or we can just get rid of quickly. It's something that at a very deep level is almost part of who you are. So that's why my recommendation isn't just to get a medication to you know, take away the pain, but actually to go face the pain and, and see if you can heal it that way. Because that's really the only way we ever heal something is to face what's actually there. In this way, uh, what they want, they, they do, they, 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 when I face with my pain, pain mm-hmm. uh, they want to say, okay, like uh, that was um, bad behavior of your father or, or what, what, what? Well, exactly what it's going to look like, I can't tell you. In therapy, it isn't um, like a procedure where we say we're going to do this and remove this and it, it goes away. But the process of sharing your pain with someone, uh, we can't change the past. And that's something people bring up. Well, why talk about the past? We can't change it. But we can change the way we feel about it. Or even sometimes we can actually feel those feelings and let go of them. A lot of what we recognize is the reason why trauma continues to hurt us isn't because the feelings are still there because it was such a big deal. It's actually the feelings were so big we never felt them in the first place. So it's very likely that from your childhood, you didn't get to feel all the pain because it was too much to handle as a kid. And now if you go back and actually feel it, it will allow you to let go of it, not keep it within you. But as long as you deny it and don't face it, it's always going to be there. So the process of just sharing those stories can be healing in, a, in and of itself. And although we can't change the past, we can change the way we feel about the past and the way it affects us now. So I understand it seems like you're a little bit doubtful or you're not sure how it's going to help or if it'll help, but I really encourage you to go into therapy and allow yourself to express that pain in the presence of someone and see the healing power it can have. And I do have to wrap up. I do hope you call in again. But either way, yeah, I really absolutely. hope you. I really hope you you go to therapy for yourself because you deserve that and to to heal those wounds yeah, from the past. I will. But thank you for calling. My pleasure. Have a wonderful uh, day. Hopefully, we'll talk you, soon. I, I, it's my pleasure. Uh, can, can I have a suggestion? Very quickly. I, I love, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I I love these reading these storybooks, especially for some big writers. Uh huh. But I think Radia Hamra can at this part like as you do for some books they bought but they are not story books mm-hmm. sure can have like talking about these books well you know yeah I, I did one book that was a novel this year i'll probably do some more that are story books or novels because there's a lot to learn from them but thank you I, I wish i had more time i do have to wrap up the show okay thank you have a great day you too take care you. bye-bye just a quick reminder again that this Friday is the last day or up to this Friday to donate toys for the Radio Hamra Mattel's Children's Hospital Toy Drive. Bring a new or unwrapped toy to our offices here and we'll make sure to get it to those kids at the hospital. Um, thank you to all the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fider Lock. We have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.